Thursday, August 1st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me as always is Jared Smola, and we are into the training camp flow now. We actually spent a little time at Bill's camp today nearby at St. John Fisher College. Me, Jared, my son, our pal Jason Phelps, and his son, Jared, any takeaways from the single practice that we got to watch? Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to draw too much from, you know, two hours of a practice in early August. Um, did projections. Get to see, I want projections for every player based I got on to that see, practice. I, I fulfilled my uh, lifelong dream of seeing John Brown in person, so it was a, it was a good day. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we did see a lot of Devin Singletary yeah. lined up out wide, though. That was interesting. Yeah, um, and you know he, I think he, he probably got as many first team reps as as uh, Lashawn McCoy did. Frank Gore wasn't doing anything today, and T.J. Eldon is, you know, clearly fourth in this packing order. But yeah, interesting about Singletary. I think he has a chance to play a. Pretty big role right out of the gate. Yeah, and TJ Yeldon seemed to come on with the second-team offense, right? Yeah. I don't remember yep. seeing him with the first-team. No, yeah, I don't think he got any first-team reps. Yeah, so fun fun to watch one practice unless you're a seven-year-old boy uh, who doesn't have anything to do. He, it wasn't his favorite thing, but it was, it was fun for us to watch it. And, of course, the Bills aren't the only ones in training camp. Everybody else is in training camp now, too, and that means training camp injuries. So we're going to get to some mailbag questions on this episode as well, but we're going to start out by kind of doing an injury roundup and talking about the players and situations that we need to watch at this point. Let's start at quarterback, where Andrew Luck's calf injury is not a training camp injury, but it's something that seems like maybe we need to be a little bit more concerned about it than we were heading into camp because he's not really doing a whole lot yet. Well, he he was participating early, and then you know then he he sat out the past few days, so it seems like he aggravated, and this goes back for you know two or three months now. So he, Luck doesn't seem worried that. Team doesn't seem worried from what we're hearing, but I, it's I, I'm not going to say I'm not worried about it. It's definitely something that we're going to have to watch closely over the next few weeks here. Yeah, the last time that we got to summer and we're like, I, Andrew Luck doesn't yeah. seem too worried. We probably shouldn't worry. He ended up missing the season with a shoulder injury. Now True. this is very different. It's not a shoulder that was repaired surgically. It's a calf. Um, you know, I'm not adjusting my rankings for Luck right now. That said, I don't think I've drafted Luck right. once. So, I, frankly, I don't care that much about this situation just because of that. I expect him to be ready for the season, and he's getting drafted too high for me anyway. Yeah, just another reason to take Deshaun Watson over Luck if you're you know, getting into that second tier of quarterbacks. There you go. Running back, Damian Williams is dealing with a hamstring issue, and I don't believe he's returned to the field since suffering it, right? He hasn't, no. And, you know, not, not what you want to see from a guy who has never been a lead back and is now, you know, preparing for this big workload. So, you know, we haven't heard that the issue is serious and that he's in danger of missing the start of the season, but definitely not ideal. Yeah, and hamstrings are always worrisome mm-hmm. because that I, I, I don't have any data to back this up right now, but it seems as though that injury, more than any others, has the propensity to recur even once they return. Yep. Uh, Derrick Henry's dealing with a calf injury. He has been out for a little while now. There's, there's, they're downplaying it. Doesn't sound like he'll be out for long, but you know, it would be nicer to see him on the field. I don't think it's really impacted his ADP to this point, though. No, um, I'm not sure if it's impacted Deion Lewis's ADP, which should be not last you know, I checked, three or four rounds higher than it is. It's just sort of a reminder that Lewis, at, at minimum, is a is a high end handcuff, and I still think he's going to have standalone PPR value this season. Yeah, Deion Lewis is one of the best draft values anywhere on the board, I think, right now, because he is a standalone value, and because there's handcuff upside if Derrick Henry misses time in the regular season. 
Duke Johnson's dealing with a hamstring issue. Um, no other team has traded for that hamstring issue yet, so he's still Cleveland's problem. And, you know, we keep hearing every once in a while that Freddie Kitchens has big plans for Duke Johnson this year. <laughs> I'm interested to see what those plans are, but we haven't seen him on the field yet to find out. Yeah, Kareem Hunt's been sidelined, too, with a groin injury, so you know it's it's been all Nick Chubb there so far. And the other guy who I keep forgetting the name of the rookie. Uh, uh, Hilliard? Yeah. Contra Hilliard, yep. I think. <laughs> so I'm not too interested in anybody behind Nick Chubb in Cleveland right now. But I have taken a couple of shots at Duke Johnson mm-hmm. later in best ball drafts lately. He's going late enough where you can overlook the hamstring issue, I think. Aaron Jones's hamstring issue is not something to overlook. I'm not pushing him off my board or anything at this point. But um, something to track, especially for a guy who has had injuries over his couple of seasons in the league. Right. He missed time last summer with hamstring stuff, has had multiple knee injuries. Um, I, you know, I, I heard this hamstring described as tightness, and I think today, Thursday, is the second practice he's missed. So you know, I, I would expect him back soon, but if it, if it lingers, it'll be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think w- with any of these hamstring injuries, we, once we get to like a week, if a guy's not mm-hmm. back working out yet, then we start to get a little concerned. A few days out, I think it's too early to really worry about him. Jamal Williams, though, another Packers running back, also dealing with a hamstring issue. Having Jones and Williams out has meant first-team reps for Dexter Williams, which I enjoy seeing. I'm hoping that he passes Jamal Williams at some point this season. I was going to say, I mean, if Jamal Williams can't get on the field soon, I wouldn't be surprised if Dexter you know, leaps him on the depth chart even before week one. Dexter Williams, I don't know if I'm ready to take him even late in a best ball draft yet, but... If Jamal Williams misses a significant chunk of August, I'd be happy to take Dexter Williams toward the end of a of a lineup setting league where if we get into the season and Dexter Williams is not playing at all, I can dump him for somebody else. Yeah, I think even right now, you know, in 28-round FFPC best ball drafts, I think there's probably room for Dexter yeah. Williams on our roster. Sure. Uh, Latavius Murray, unspecified injury, but he's been missing some time. Hope he's all right, because I have a lot of Latavius Murray. Yeah, and they've been eyeing other running backs and having guys in for visits lately. Right. So that whole backfield is going to be something to watch to see exactly what what all this means for everybody involved. I still like Latavius Murray where he's going, though. Yep, me too. Wide receiver, Julian Edelman has a thumb fracture. Sterling Shepard has a thumb fracture. It sounds like both teams are expecting those guys to be back for the opener, though. Yeah, and I haven't looked into the exact numbers, but it doesn't seem like Edelman's ADP has dropped much, if at all. He's you know still like an early fourth rounder, which I think is fair. I'm not worried about the thumb. You know, it sounds like he'll be good to go week one. Shepard originally dropped in our rankings when you know his injury. We, we learned about his injury, but you know since then we've got the Golden Tate four game suspension. So I, I almost mm-hmm. like Shepard more now than I did two weeks ago. I would say he's back to where I had him at that point, and I. I Edelman is easier to trust because he's been playing with Tom Brady forever. He's been in the league forever. We know that Julian Edelman stays in shape and is prepared. Shepard, a little bit more worrisome missing the time. So I, I wasn't excited about him before. I'm not excited yeah. about him now, but I'm not pushing. I'm not forgetting about him. No, not an exciting guy, but like he, he's a guy who we might be projecting for you know eight, nine targets for the mm-hmm. first month of the season. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Corey Coleman was not set to be a fantasy factor, most likely, but definitely not going to be a factor now after tearing his ACL. And the biggest thing there is it further depletes arguably the league's worst right. set of wide receivers. Yeah, we might be seeing uh, like Cody Latimer and, and Benny Fowler on the field for the Giants week or, one. Or even guys that aren't there, or rookie right. Darius Slayton. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's basically something to not watch for fantasy at this point. I mean, it's good news for, again, Shepard and Evan Ingram, yes. who, you know, 
I think was already a candidate to finish at least fourth among tight ends and targets. And right now I think has to be the clear favorite to finish fourth in targets. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I did not write that down. But I agree. I feel even better about Evan Ingram now because I think he is a good bet for 100-plus targets. And all that's going on around him, I think, gives him upside, I don't know, the top of the position. I, I wouldn't. I don't think it would be a shocking development if Evan Ingram finished the season leading all tight ends and targets. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it'd be shocking. Um, you know, the, the concerns are obviously the quarterback play, but mm-hmm. you know, volume sort of trumps everything. Yep. The hamstring club at wide receiver, <laughs> Calvin Ridley missing time, Deshaun Hamilton missing time, Paris Campbell missing time. For Calvin Ridley, I mean, you know, the other guys I think they're low enough in the rankings where it doesn't really matter. For Calvin yeah. Ridley, it's like, okay, there is another reason to <laughs> let somebody else take him in the right. range is going. Yeah, I mean, the thing about these guys, you know, we have two second-year wideouts and one rookie, so I think, you know, the missed time isn't ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, Campbell especially, he, he was, you know, I, I think the, the buzziest Colt early in camp, but he was also running mostly with the second team still, so, you know, he, he still had some depth chart climbing to do, so he has to get back on the field quickly here. Yeah. Uh, Jamison Crowder had a a scare with a foot or ankle injury, returned quickly though, ended up not being a big deal. Tyreek Hill, also a scare, (laughs) but his injury was just a quad bruise, so he should be just fine. The biggie on the injury front so far, and will carry us over into our mailbag portion, is AJ Green. Suffering the ankle injury, the best that we've been able to see so far is that he tore an ankle ligament, Mm -hmm. um, had what was called a cleanup surgery. Then it seemed like it was more of a surgery. He's expected to miss some regular season games at this point. Really not yet clear how much that means. I mean, it could be one or two, could be a candidate for the pup. No, I, he, he can't be pup. I was going to say, he, he can't start on the pup. He could be put on the short-term on IR, mm-hmm. which would cost him, what, eight games. Um, Dr. David Cha, who I, you know, I think is the, you know, one of the more reliable sources we have when it comes to injuries, um, expects Green to miss about two months. That would put him back at the end of September, which would be like week four. So that's sort of my expectation right now is he's going to miss, you know, two to three games, maybe four games. And even then, you know, that first game back might be tough to trust him in fantasy lineups. Yeah, I think right now you have to assume that it's about three or four. And then hopefully we'll get an update on that within the next couple of weeks. And that's going to transition us over to the mailbag portion because the first question comes from at Ginger Canuck on Twitter, who said, who asks, how does the A.J. Green injury adjust his and Boyd's draft range? Now, in our Pros versus Joes drafts, there were, there were six of them. Jared and I each did one. In the first three drafts, which were pre-injury for Green, he went 307, 302, 307. The next three, he went 507, 604, 602. I think that's the range you're probably mm-hmm. going to see him go. The The round is going to depend on where you're drafting because he's, he was wide receiver 23, in the middle of round five in my draft. He's wide receiver 20 at the end of round four on play draft. So we've got tight ends pushed up the board in the FFPC format. I think right around that wide receiver 20 to wide receiver 24, 25 is where you should expect to see A.J. Green go. I think that's where he belongs. I'm hoping that somebody takes him Mm -hmm. before I feel like I need to because I would rather not trust him in that range even. Yeah, I'm right with you. Um, you know, I, I'm taking Tyler Lockett, Elshon Jeffrey, even Allen Robinson right now over AJ Green, and those guys are, you know, at least one of those guys tends to be available into round six. So Green would have to, you know, drop closer to round seven right now for for me to be interested in him. Yeah, on play draft, he's going AJ Green's going just ahead, and this is based on two days worth of ADP, right. so it could change beyond this. But he was going just ahead of Tyler Lockett, 
Mike Williams, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore, Cooper Cup, Tyler Boyd. I would take Green probably still over Mike Williams and Calvin Ridley, at least yep. while Ridley's out. I, I, I'm taking Lockett ahead of Green. DJ Moore, Cooper Cup is one of those where I'm not sure I would go the same way every time. I would probably yeah. get some of each. DJ Moore, I'm taking over Green for sure. Um, Cup is closer coming off the ACL, obviously. But, I mean, at this point, it seems like Cup's going to be on the field for week one, and AJ Green isn't. Mm-hmm. Tyler Boyd, meanwhile, doesn't seem to have moved much. And, again, in the two days' worth of ADP data I looked at, uh, he was up two wide receiver spots in ADP, was up seven spots overall, so about half a round. Not a huge change. I'm not going to upgrade Tyler Boyd on this. We don't have a whole lot to go on in terms of Boyd with and without Green. What we did have from last year, though, showed us that his target share did not climb when Mm -hmm. Green was out, so I don't think we should count on more volume. And if Green's out, I don't think the Bengals' offense is going to be very good, so it's it's not going to help him from an efficiency standpoint, most likely. So for me, I think Boyd stays right in the range where he is, whether A.J. Green's ready early or not. Yeah, we already had Boyd high in the rankings before the Green injury, so it, you know I think we weren't comfortable moving him any higher. Of course, last year, Boyd, 12th among wide receivers in PPR points with Green in the lineup. He dropped to 17th you know, over the second half of the season without A.J. Green. I still think no Green, if anything, helps him just because he's he's – likely to see more volume i mean it's you know small sample what we got last year mm-hmm. um but I, I agree you know that the targets might be a bit less efficient so I, I think it might be about a wash um for boyd with green out of the lineup yeah, and the other thing about the sample from last year is that andy dalton went mm-hmm. down in the midst of that sample so it, it might not be usable what we got there at all worth noting that the Bengals start on the road in three of their first four games they're at seattle home for san francisco at buffalo at pittsburgh Andy Dalton has not traditionally been a guy we want to bet on yeah. in tough spots like that, especially at the Pittsburgh game, I believe, is a primetime game. You know, Andy Dalton's been a little bit better in primetime lately, but for a <laughs> while before that, we had primetime Andy as somebody to absolutely avoid. Even though those defenses aren't going to be the toughest in the league, the fact that they're starting with three or four on the road, it doesn't help the outlook for Tyler Boyd, I don't think. No, and, and as for Andy Dalton, um, I think he's still okay as a very late mm-hmm. pick in best ball leagues. But I think once we get into lineup setting leagues, I don't think he's worth rostering because I don't see him as a starting option without A.J. Green in those spots you just mentioned over the first month of the season. Yeah, and for me, Dalton doesn't drop because he was already low, but yeah. he's no longer somebody that I look at much. He's yep. just, that's Agreed. where he belongs now. Yes. Uh, okay, at since 82 on Twitter asks for our thoughts on T.Y. Hilton and PPR. <laughs> And I think T.Y. Hilton, if you just like look at him, he seems like the kind of receiver that's going to be significantly different between PPR and non-PPR, but he really hasn't been. There has only been one year so far in his career where his ranking differed by more than two spots from PPR to non-PPR formats, and that was back in 2012 when T.Y. Hilton was a rookie. Otherwise, he's been close across the formats. Last year was 14th on both sides. Uh, The year before, 27th, 25th, that was the Jacoby Brissett season. 2016, fifth across formats, uh, and then other seasons similar um, dating back before that. So for me, I don't. I, there's not a big difference with Hilton, whether it's PPR or non-PPR. I think that there's more upside to him from a target count standpoint than there used to be a few years ago. Because even though they have a bunch of guys in Indy, he's the one proven target that has worked with Andrew Luck for a lot of years at this point. And he is a 130-plus target guy when he's playing a full season as Hilton, mm-hmm. that's 
that might not be like Julio Jones level, but there were only 13 wide receivers in the league last year that reached 130. So he's already in that wide receiver one territory in terms of uh, yeah. volume. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the safer picks in the range he's going, you know, just because we've seen him do it for all this time. He's you know in the same offense with the same quarterback, assuming, of course, Andrew Luck's calf injury doesn't impact his start to the season. Um, Hilton's last four finishes with a healthy Andrew Luck, 18th, 11th, 5th, and 14th. So, you know, he's basically been like a higher-end wide receiver, two with one wide receiver one season. He's just not a guy I've been drafting much because he tends to go in the third round. And like I've mentioned already a few times on the podcast, I, I love – the third round running back. So I, I tend to be looking that direction, you know, when, when Hilton's coming off the board. Do you think you'll be more likely to take Hilton when it's lineup setting time? Um, I mean, Hilton's a guy I'll take if I started with two running backs, but if I started, you know, running back wide receiver, again, I, even in lineup setting leagues, I'm going to be mm-hmm. looking at guys like Carrion Johnson, Aaron Jones, uh, Devontae Freeman in the third round. And even receiver wise, he falls in a range where there are a bunch of guys that are fine. The Vikings right. guys are there. Mike Evans slips into round three. Keenan Allen often. gets there. Yeah. So it, it's not, it, he, it's tough for him to stand out in that range, but I have no problem with T.Y. Hilton where he's going. Yep. Pavon... Cam Hotla, I believe, on Twitter. If Evans and Godwin fall to me in consecutive rounds, is it wise to take them? Now, I think we'd break this down into parts because, first of all, this scenario assumes that you find Mike Evans in round three, I think. Uh, I would say Evans in round three, Chris Godwin in round four. And absolutely, Evans would be a wise choice in that range. We have him sixth in non-PPR. We have him eighth in PPR. So round three is a yes on Mike Evans for me. Yeah, for sure. Then Chris Godwin is up to wide receiver 17 on play draft lately, middle of round four. Uh, that's right around the range where we have him projected. He, we have him 18th, I believe, in PPR, um, right around there in, in half PPR. So I think it's outside of true value range for Godwin, but he's also okay in the range where he's going. Now, I think the main question here is, mm-hmm. do I want to have two of these receivers on my team? So four pairs of teammates last year finished among the top 20 PPR wideouts. The year before we had three pairs, four of them in 2016, three of them in 2015. So it's definitely possible for both of these guys to finish as top 20 PPR receivers. Yeah, I mean, they're both in the top 20 in our rankings, so I definitely think it's doable. I I looked into two, so those four pairs, I looked into how they sort of performed alongside each other on a weekly basis. So you had like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley last year, both top 20. That pair together gave you at least one top 36 PPR performance in 14 of 16 weeks. They both finished top 36 in six six different weeks. Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster were both top 20 last year. You got at least one top 36 performance in every single week the Steelers played last year, and they both finished top uh, 36 in 11 weeks. The Vikings wide receivers, Thielen and Diggs, uh, at least one top 36 performance in all 16 weeks. They were both top 36 in seven weeks. And uh, Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, both top 36 last year, or sorry, both top 20 last year. You got at least one top 36 performance in every single week and two top 36 performances in nine weeks. So I think you know, drafting two, if you can find two top 20 guys on you know a super productive passing game, I think it gives you a super high weekly floor. I mean, you're almost guaranteed to get at least one top 36 performance. And I think these guys showed that in a lot of occasions, they're, they're both going to finish top 36. And to that point, in the reliability rankings that we looked at, which looks at you know how often a guy finishes in starter range and wide receiver that's among the top 36, we did have four pairs of teammates finish among the top 20 in terms of the percentage of weeks where they finished in starter range. And that was two thirds of the weeks or more. So again, it's possible for both of these guys to score in that range. Now, 
Once we get in, it, for best ball, I have no problem putting Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the same team. Once we get into lineup setting, I might be a little bit more likely to look away from Godwin with that second spot to one of the other receivers around him. Julian Edelman is going right in front of Godwin. Brandon Cooks is going right in front of Edelman. Robert Woods is going right behind Godwin in, in draft ADP. So if I already have Mike Evans, I'm probably taking Robert Woods over Chris Godwin at the next time when I'm setting my lineup every week. But I wouldn't stray away from Godwin if he's the the value where he comes up just because I already have Evans. Exactly. If you have you know guys in the same tier at wide receiver, I think I'd rather have a guy from a different team. But like you said, I wouldn't I wouldn't cross Godwin off my rankings because I took Evans in the previous round. Mm-hmm. At VC Jones twenty two on Twitter, drafting from the eight to twelve range, do you like the idea of getting two premium wide receivers? What do you think? So I mean, of course, it always depends on your format and what's available. Like if David Johnson were to slip to eight, I think I'm taking him over any wide receiver pretty easily. For example, if we're talking about a PPR league that starts three uh, wide receivers every week, I would have no issue with starting, you know, Julio Jones and then Odell Beckham. And again, I do like the third round running back, so I think you can still get a pretty solid guy, you know, pretty uh, a guy who could finish as a top 12 running back in the third round. Um, that, that said, though, I do prefer getting at least one of our top 11 running backs. So, you know, maybe a wide receiver running back start is ideal. Yeah, I, I'd have, I'm i fine with any of the possible starts among the first three rounds. You can go two running backs and then a wide out, running back, wide out, running back. Any permutation among those three rounds works for me. I would be more likely to go one running back, one wide receiver with those first two picks as we get into lineup setting and outside of Mm -hmm. best ball. When we're in a best ball draft or in a tournament, I might start, I might be more likely to start with a couple of workhorses if they're there. Yeah, and I would also say once you get into round six or seven, like once like the Chris Carson, Mark Ingram area of running backs is gone, I don't, I don't like what's left for most of the draft. So I'd really like to get definitely at least two running backs in the first, first say, five rounds, and, mm-hmm. and in a lot of cases, three in the first five rounds. Yeah, but it's certainly possible to go wide out, wide out, and then get two running backs that you mm-hmm. like in rounds three and four. Yep. Scott the Man on Facebook says, I am in a dynasty league. I have the second pick. I am running back heavy, but don't know if any wide receiver should go that high. What would you do? So if I actually have a wide receiver need here, he says I'm running back heavy, but he doesn't say that he needs a wide receiver. If I need a wide out, like somebody that should start this year at times, then I'd go Nikhil Harry here pretty easily. Mm-hmm. If I'm not, I think that I would go ahead for the running back. Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, whoever's there. Because I think all three of those guys are at least as likely as Harry and probably even more likely to increase their value from right now uh, to this time next year. That, that's that's fair. Um, you know, I, Harry's still my number one overall in you know the dynasty rookie ranking. So I, I think that'd be my pick if he makes it to you. Um, if Harry goes number one overall, though, I definitely wouldn't go reaching for another wide receiver just because no. that's a bigger need. I would you know take one of those running backs, Josh Jacobs. I also think you could trade down because I like the wide receiver yes. depth this year. So you know maybe trade that two pick for say a late first rounder and a second round pick and get, you know, two of guys like JJ Arcega Whiteside, Marquise Brown, AJ Brown, Paris Campbell, and Isabella. I agree. I was wondering if the, there's a trade possibility here, if it is possible and you don't need a running back, I don't see any reason not to move down. I don't think I, Nikhil Harry is good. I don't think he's a can't miss prospect that you got to have up there either. I, yeah, I would almost rather have, you know, Arcega Whiteside and say Marquise Brown than, than just Yeah, definitely always better to take multiple Mm -hmm. shots, um, whether you're in fantasy or the NFL. Exactly. 
Uh, Raymond Costa, also on Facebook, asks about the Texans' offensive line. Does Watson have a chance? And we had another O-line question, at Nick Baluco on Twitter, also asked about the Houston O-line, as well as the Arizona and Tampa Bay offensive lines. So Watson's the, the first one that comes up here. Last year, he was fifth in fantasy points per game, despite playing behind the, the line with the league's worst sack rate yeah. allowed. He was tops in his short span of time in 2017 behind also a bad offensive line, 29th in sack rate allowed. And in 2017, otherwise, three of the top five fantasy quarterbacks had teams that ranked 21st or worse in sack rate. So the O-line matters, Mm -hmm. and playing behind a good O-line is always going to help you, but I would not avoid a quarterback because his offensive line struggles to protect. Yeah, I mean, the the O-line is definitely the chief concern with Watson, and I think for me it's, it's why I do still like Patrick Mahomes over to Sean Watson atop the quarterback rankings. I just think Watson comes with more risk. He has the two torn ACLs um, in his past. Remember, too, he played through a partially collapsed lung last season, you know, <laughs> as a result of taking all those hits. So it is a concern. Um, it, it adds some risk to him. But, you know, Watson's still pretty clearly my number two quarterback at this point. And it's not hard to find a replacement quarterback unless you're True. playing in deep two quarterback leagues. Uh, now, the other specific teams brought up here, the Bucks. They were, la- they were 14th in sack rate last year, so I'm not worried about them. And both of their quarterbacks finished among the top 11 in fantasy points per game. So certainly not avoiding uh, Jameis Winston be- based on his offensive line. Arizona, similar to Deshaun Watson, even if the Cardinals aren't good up front, Kyler Murray can work around that and has yeah. the, the skill set to deliver fantasy points even if his O-line is bad. The problem with him is that he's now going too early because (laughs) everybody loves him. Yeah, I I do think the Cardinals' O-line looks like a bottom five unit. Um, They did add right tackle Marcus Gilbert, former Steelers, so that that should be a pretty big upgrade there. I I think Cliff Kingsbury's scheme is going to help, in addition to Kyler Murray being mobile. Kingsbury's Texas Tech squads over his six years there had the fourth lowest sack rate in Division One, and that was despite you know throwing it plenty. So I think I think scheme and Murray's mobility is going to help kind of mask the O line deficiencies. I think among the teams brought up here, Arizona's run game might be the yep. one spot where you take some concern with the O line. Back in David Johnson's breakthrough year, 2016. The Cardinals ranked 7th in Football Outsiders adjusted line yards. They would drop to 17th the next year, 25th last year when David Johnson was highly inefficient. Mm-hmm. I think the other changes around him are going to help. So, you know, you can tell from what we've said so far and from our rankings that I'm not overly worried about David Johnson, but I could see a scenario where a bad O-line limits his fantasy output. Yeah, again, I think we're um, sort of banking on Kingsbury's scheme, doing a better job of getting Johnson into space. Thoughts on six point per passing touchdown leagues, and I forgot to write down who this one was from, but this is a Twitter question. How much earlier should I be taking a quarterback when there's six points per passing touchdown? Jared, what do you think? Personally, it doesn't really alter my strategy much, if at all, because it's all quarterbacks getting six point passing touchdowns. It's just it's not, you know, just the top guy. So the relative values between the top of the board and, you know, the, the middle of the board aren't really changing. The one group of guys it does hurt is the quarterbacks that rely on their rushing production and have lower 
passing touchdown projection. So Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen jumped to mind. You know, I think they they take a pretty big hit in six-point passing touchdown leagues. And Cam Newton's sort of the other sneaky one. I mean, you know, he, he's not a guy who we project to, you know, get into the 30s for passing mm-hmm. touchdowns. So I think that probably knocks Newton, you know, closer to the bottom of quarterback one range. Yeah, it's going to knock down those guys with, with bigger rushing production. The MVP board is probably going to tell you to take Patrick Mahomes earlier. Might be in round two there. Uh, and it, it, it will shift everybody around. You might be surprised by where some of the names fall. I think, though, that there might be even more value in a six-point passing touchdown format to waiting on a quarterback because you're going to have league mates who are thinking, oh, I got to go after a quarterback earlier because touchdown passes are more important here. And if that is the case, and if you're passing on quarterbacks when other people are, then you're going to get higher quality players in place of those quarterbacks that you're not taking at that point. Last year, nine quarterbacks tallied 30-plus touchdown passes Four of those guys are going outside the top 11 in uh, ADP this year. Three guys hit 30 touchdowns in 2017. Five guys hit 30 touchdowns in 2016. So you don't need to buy those touchdowns. I think ideally, maybe the perfect situation here is to wait, 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 and then take Phillip Rivers and Kirk Cousins, who at least in play draft ADP are sitting 19th and 20th right now. I would imagine that they would go a little earlier mm-hmm. in a six-point touchdown league, but they're not going to go way up the board, I don't think. Yeah, I'm just looking at our projections now and sorting by passing touchdowns. Philip Rivers, we have him projected for the fourth most passing touchdown, so he's going to get a boost in this format. Jared Goff, another guy I'd throw out there. You know, we, mm-hmm. we also haven't projected the same number of passing touchdowns as Rivers, so fourth most among quarterbacks. Goff doesn't go quite as late, but you know, I think he, you could probably still get him outside the top ten quarterbacks. Yeah, so there will be guys available. It wait, even, it, wait until it makes you uncomfortable and then mm-hmm. take a quarterback. Yep. Josh Allen, top 12 quarterback this season. True or false? That comes from Rochester native Mitch, who is at DFS and Donuts on Twitter. Jared, true or false? So, we saw him today. <laughs> false. <laughs> it, no, I, honestly, it would not surprise me if Josh Allen finished top 12. But I, I can literally say that about 20 right. other quarterbacks. I'm not betting on Allen finishing top 12. I still don't believe in him as a passer. Nothing I saw today changed my mind on that. Um, and, and I do think the rushing production is going to decline. If the rushing production doesn't decline, then, yeah, Allen will have a good chance of finishing top 12. Yeah, But it will uh, because 46.1% of his fantasy points came on rushing last year. Lamar Jackson was the only starting quarterback ahead of him in that category. And as we've mentioned previously, uh, you, you can check out the AFC East podcast here, the, the full case, but Josh Allen's had four games of 90-plus rushing yards last year. <laughs> we have only seen 50 such games in the league among any quarterbacks since 1970. Cam Newton in his career only has four games of 90-plus rushing yards. Josh Allen's going to keep being able to run the ball, and he was a, a, a red zone scorer last year. Mm-hmm. I think that can continue, and he could continue to score more rushing touchdowns. We saw him score one today. Yep. And we saw Matt Barkley run one in. So maybe that's actually that's <laughs> part of the offense. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the Buffalo quarterback did I, as well. Uh, uh, yeah, Tyree Jackson. So there you yeah. go. Maybe that's their, their scheme <laughs> is to run it in um, with the, the quarterbacks. But, no, I think Josh Allen's numbers are coming down. And I think even beyond that, the thing that's going to make him tougher to like for me in lineup setting is that – you can't predict the rushing stuff. You can't say this is a week where Josh Allen's likely to run for 90 yards and a touchdown. He's he's okay in best ball because he, right. he's not going early. I mean, he, you know, he, he's a guy that again, if he's like the last guy remaining out of this, you know, top 
20 or whatever it is that I feel okay with, I'll take Josh Allen and be fine with it. But I agree, I'd much rather draft him in a best ball league. Mm-hmm. Once you get down into where he's going in, in lineup setting, give me Phillip Rivers straight up ahead of him yes. very yep. easily. Yep. That's going to do it for this mailbag edition of the podcast. You can head over to DraftSharks.com now to get all of your pre-draft questions answered. You can find our projections. You can find in-depth profiles on hundreds of players. You can customize your own MVP board. And you can find a plethora of articles popping up. Strength of schedule series hitting on every position. The comeback player came out this week. Our breakout pick is hitting the site next week. Jared, I know you're almost done with that one, right? It's uh, just about ready to go. Oh, yeah. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. Hit us up there with any questions that you want answered on the next Mailbag episode of this podcast. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us. Thanks.